You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll explore the importance of knowing who you are and maintaining a healthy sense of identity in everyday life. I, I want to uh, do a couple things. I want to throw a curveball to the media team. So media team, just don't, don't freak out. I'm, I'm not going to share what I shared this morning. I, I feel a tugging on, on, uh, on my heart from Holy Spirit to share something different with you. And um, we'll see what the 1130 service looks like and feels like. And we'll see what the Lord says. Uh, Pastor Wayne mentioned it to you. I'm kind of in a season. I just started doing a little bit of travel. I often don't travel on on Sundays, but I'm um, doing a little bit of travel now because of my new book that just came out uh, entitled The I Factor. It came out on Tuesday. Amen. Uh, praise God. And I want to share, share something that's on my heart from the Lord. Uh, and uh, we've got books available. And uh, if you want to, I'll sign some books or uh, pretend like I'm signing books or whatever you want me to do after service. But um, it's an honor to be here. And uh, I believe that this is a word from God that's going to impact your life in a radical way. Many people probably remember uh, my last book, The People Factor, that dealt with the relationships that you have with people around you. But the I Factor is about the greatest and the most challenging relationship you will ever have, and that's the one you have with yourself. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. Who, who wants a book? I just want to give a book away uh, to somebody that really, really wants it. Uh, yeah, okay. She, I, I saw you, brother. I was going to give it to you, but she was... Running up and around, jump. All right, praise God. Um, so I want to I want to ask you uh, grab your Bible, and I want to ask you to go to Second Samuel chapter nine. We're going to do something different. Um, I want to ask you to grab your Bible and go to Second Samuel chapter nine. Many people, when they hear the title of my new book, The I Factor, they wonder, well, what in the world is the I Factor? It's it's a different kind of title, and the way that I love to explain it is that a lot of people approach life kind of like this gift bag. It's beautiful, it's ornate, it even has the Rich Carlton on it, uh, and it looks great on the inside, on the outside, but on the inside, it's pretty empty. It's just a dirty piece of tissue, and that's how many people approach life. We, we, we obsess over, we focus so heavily on what we look like on the outside, we focus on making sure that we have all of the exterior trappings that so many people think are important. But God doesn't focus on what's happening on the outside. God is looking at what's going on on the inside of you. This is why he told Samuel when Samuel went to uh, anoint David and Samuel saw all of the other brothers and thought for sure that the anointing was going to fall on them. And then here comes this uh, ruddy-looking boy from the shepherd field, David, and uh, Samuel says, well, no, it can't be him. And God says, no, don't make the mistake of looking at what man looks like. Uh, looks at, rather, man looks at the exterior, but God looks at the heart. And that's what the I factor is about. It's, it's about um, the greatest relationship you could ever have, and that's the one you have with yourself. But it's about being healthy from the inside out. It's about managing yourself and your whole life well. And it's about successful living from the inside out. And so I shared earlier that, and I deal with this in detail in the book, I've learned that a healthy eye factor is based on three things. Proper understanding of your identity, an understanding of your significance in God, 
And then the ability to look at life through the right set of lenses, and that's your perspective. And so earlier at the 8 o'clock, we dealt with significance. I don't have time in either service to give you all three, so I want to deal with one of them today. We dealt with significance earlier. We're going to deal with identity uh, in this service. And so look at somebody and tell you to peel the onion. Look at somebody else and tell them, peel the onion, peel the onion. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 3. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always, somebody say always. always. You will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I shared with you that a healthy eye factor revolves around three key ingredients. Healthy identity, sense of significance in God, and the ability to look at life through the right set of lenses, which is your perspective. We dealt with significance at the 8 o'clock service. I, I want to take a few moments in this service and talk about identity. It's, it's clear in this story that Mephibosheth doesn't really know who he is. And his lack of identity is literally jeopardizing his life. I feel so led of Holy Spirit to deal with this issue of identity at this service in particular. And I, and I may uh, only be here at this service to talk to maybe one or two of you. But I want you to understand that the issue of personal identity is a huge component of, of anybody's I factor. Because everything that you think, everything that you do, and the way you see yourself, all of it flows out of your sense of identity. Your identity is really the compass, if you will, that guides every aspect of your life. And this is why if you will really do the work to find out who you really are, it will shape and shift your life in all of the best ways. Because everything about you, everything about your life flows from your sense of identity. This is why the very first thing that God did for Jesus was solidify his identity when Jesus was starting his earthly ministry at the age of 30 the Bible says that he is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River and when he comes up out of the water the heavens open and the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and a voice from heaven says this is my son in whom I'm well pleased Notice that Jesus hadn't healed anybody. Notice that Jesus had not performed any miracles. He had not even really started his earthly ministry. But the first thing that God does is God seals and confirms his identity. He says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because a lack of identity, 
opens the door for insecurity, a lack of identity, opens the door of feelings of inadequacy. When you don't know who you are, you live your life trying to please all the wrong people and living up to their faulty expectations and, and your life caves to peer pressure and a lack of purpose. This is why discovering your real identity is necessary and I liken it to peeling an onion because, because when you peel an onion, you have to remove one layer at a time until you get to the core of the onion. And here's the thing about the onion. It started as, as a pit or as a seed. If I had an onion, I would show you. And if you would peel the onion, when you get home, you find that at the center of that onion is a core or a seed because, because that's how the onion started. But over time, as the onion was growing, layers ended up being applied over that seed. You missed it. Just like the onion started as a seed, you and I started as a seed biologically, the seed of life. That seed that fertilized your mom's egg in her womb, that seed carried everything about you. Your unique DNA, it, it carried your identity, the essence of, of who God ordained you to be. But here's what happens in life over time. There are layers that are applied on top of, of that seed, layers of experience, layers of fear, layers of disappointment, layers of so many things, hurt, frustration, the stuff that's happened to you. And the mistake that so many of us make is that we end up trying to live our life from behind all of those layers. But this is why you gotta peel the onion. Look at somebody and say, we're gonna peel this thing this morning. Yeah, we're gonna peel it because getting back to the core of who you are, that seed, that's when you begin to live the life that God called you to live. That's when you begin to live from your purest place, the, the place of identity, the place that God wants you to live from. And so just like peeling an onion, often before you can get down to the core of who you really are, you, you gotta strip away who you're not. Amen. Teach Pastor Van. And just like peeling an onion can stink up your kitchen and sting your eyes, sometimes, sometimes peeling the onions and the layers of the stuff that's happened in your own life We'll, we'll maybe stink up some stuff, but, but it's, it's worth doing to get to the core of who you really are. Can, can we peel the onion this morning? So, so first of all, if, if you're going to strip the, the onion and the layers and peel away who you're not to get to who you really are, you, you first got to know this. And so take notes. I'm sorry that they're not up on the, the screen. So write in your Bible or uh, write on your friend's paper or somebody next to you. Just, just write because I want you to get this. And if I go too fast... All of it's in the book. But, but I want to show you this, number one. Your identity is not based on what you do. Your, your identity is not based on what you do. So David comes to power. This is his defining moment, just like I feel like this is your defining moment, your destiny moment. And when he comes to power, he asks a question. He says, now, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can bless for Jonathan's sake? And, and David's servant says, well... Yeah, t technically there is, but, but really, but really not really, but, but technically, yes. And David says, well, where is he? And he said, well, he's at the house of Mekir, uh, son of Amiel in, in Lodabar. The town where Mephibosheth lived was a place called Lodabar. And here's the thing, Lodabar literally means no pasture. That's what Lodabar means, no pasture. 
And back during this time, it was an agricultural community, which means that, that when he says he's living in Lodabar, what, what he's saying is he's living in a place where they aren't doing anything. They, it's, it's no pasture. They couldn't raise animals. They, they couldn't farm. He's saying, yeah, he's alive, but, but, but he lives in a place where the people don't do anything. They don't do anything in, in Lodabar. Lodabar was a town of forgotten people. In, in, in Lodabar, if it was in today's uh, kind of time, you would find the lost and the unskilled and the uneducated, the outcast of society, if you will, people that didn't do anything. So, so when David's servant, when Ziba says, well, well yeah, technically there is, a descendant of Saul, but, but he's in Lodabar. What he's literally saying is, yeah, but they don't do nothing down there. They, 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 they don't have anything special going on down there. But here's what I want you to understand. Your identity is not based on what you do. See, your who is not your do. In other words, who you are is totally separate from what you do. Your identity comes from God and what you do is something different. Yet, yet so many people are so unaware of this truth and so they go through life, watch this, defining themselves in terms of their accomplishments instead of defining themselves based on their internal realities. I, I said a lot right there. So, so let me give you an example. How many times have you, have you heard a conversation like this or been a part of a conversation like this? Hi, I'm John. Well, hi, John. I'm Daryl. Nice to meet you. Well, nice to meet you too, Daryl. Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm an accountant, and uh, I like to do yoga, and I'm a runner. Oh, okay. Well, nice to meet you. And at the end of the conversation, both men leave, but they never really get to the core of who they are. They end up talking about what each other does, but they know so little about who they are. See, so many people believe today that their identity is in what they do. The problem with that, though, is when you believe that your identity is in what you do and your do changes. You, you lose yourself. When you think your identity is in your do and you lose your do, you end up losing yourself. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if it was big... Um, out here on the West Coast, but, but, but recently, a couple of years ago, back east, there was a really big, um, big, big scandal with this um, online site called Ashley Madison. And Ashley Madison was, was a website that was designed to hook people up in extramarital affairs. And the, and the site was hacked. And the names of all of the members of that online community was exposed. And, and while that's bad, what really broke my heart was that on the East Coast, there was a rash of people when they were exposed that ended up committing suicide. Because they felt like there's no way that I could, I could continue to live my life when everybody realizes what I did. They never separated who they are, their who from their do, and that's why their failure was so devastating. But when you know your who, when you are firmly established in your identity, guess what? You can lose your do, and you can bounce back to bigger and better do's. When you know who you are, failure doesn't keep you down when you know who you really are. Teach Pastor Van, I'm trying. Many people mistakenly believe that their do makes their who possible. No, but that's not the case. It's the other way around. Boo, it's your, it's your who that makes your do possible. 
When you know who you are, then you understand that the essence of why you do what you do in such a special way, it's not what you do, it's who you are. So if you lose your due, guess what? Well, that's fine. You're still going to make it. Because the reason you got an opportunity to do the do in the first place was what was on the inside of you. So if they don't recognize your worth, guess what? Step with your head held high, go to the next job, and the next job is going to be blessed to have you. It's not your do who made you, it's you. And you carry the essence of your who everywhere that you go. So your, your identity, your identity is not based on what you do. I can't make it because they left me. They were the fool, not you. So your identity is not based on what you do. Here's another thing. Your identity is not based on your circumstances. I love this. Nobody had ever really heard about Mephibosheth until David started asking about him. Which means, get this, that Mephibosheth was literally content to allow his circumstances to continue to define his life. The Bible is silent about the life of Mephibosheth. Uh, really until David starts asking. And then there's a backstory that we'll get to in a second. But for the most part, there's, there's not a, a lot said about Mephibosheth. And so when David comes to power, David starts asking about him. And this is how we really are introduced to him. David is asking about Mephibosheth because, because Mephibosheth's father is royalty. You get it. But instead of living according to his royal identity... Mephibosheth is content to allow the circumstances that happened to him to define him. Okay. Okay. Everybody in life is affected at some point by situations outside of their control. You, you, can, you can do your best across every T and dot every I, and I, trust me, some things are still going to happen to you. The problem is not what happened to you. The issue is that far too many people, when these things happen, we allow them to define who we are. And what's far worse than the circumstances that people have been through is the fact that they allow those circumstances to define them. And, and if you listen really closely, you could hear it in the way that they talk. Oh, yeah, yeah well, that's really nice that you were able to do that because it, I could have, but, but see, my dad left when I was six and... And so because dad wasn't there, I had to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, okay. That's nice that you have that promotion. I, 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 I could have gone down that road, but, but I, didn't go, I didn't go to the right school because I had to work at night because I had other things I had to do. And so, and so that's, that's really cool. No, that's okay. I don't have to come to your promotional party because I really, I could have I had that promotion myself. Um, but see, what had happened was... Uh, see, see, stuff happened. And, and, do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? You can hear it in their conversation. You can see it in their demeanor. The circumstance was temporary. Watch this. But you make it permanent when you allow it to define your life. Teach Pastor Van. I'm doing it. Do, do you remember in, in, in 2 Samuel 13 when, when one of David's, David's daughter, Tamar, was, was raped by, by her brother Amnon? And, and it's, a, it's a tragic story. But, but, but the redemption in the story 
is what her brother Absalom says to her. If you know your Bible, Absalom says to her, he says, has that brother of yours, have that brother of yours, one translation says, did he rape you? Another translation says, did he have his, have his way with you? And, and she acknowledges it because she tears her clothes. She's got sackcloth and ashes on and stuff. And here's what he says. He says, don't take this thing to heart. That, that, that's the greatest line. He, he says, don't take it to heart. Yes, it was bad, but don't take it to heart. Meaning it happened to you, but that's not who you are. Me, me, meaning, meaning it's tragic and you went through it, but don't allow it to define your life. Okay, I think y'all missed that. Okay, I, I know, I'm in California. So let me talk about movies. One of my favorite movies is Gladiator. Anybody know Gladiator? Man, listen, I love Gladiator. And my favorite line, you know, Russell Crowe's family is killed. You know, he's left for dead. He's sold into slavery. He's, he's a gladiator. And my favorite, my favorite line is when he comes up against, against the enemy, the one that killed his family and killed his leader, uh, Yo Queen Phoenix. And, and I love it because he's got the mask on. And all through the first part of the movie, he's called the Spaniard. And, you know, he wins. And then, and then the king, the bad guy, comes on the, on the, on the field and he says, Spaniard, show us your face. Reveal your true identity. And, and Russell Crowe's back is to him. He's like, I'm not going to turn around to look at you because you're the enemy. He says, don't you dare turn your back to your king. Spaniard, show us your identity. And I love it. It's real dramatic. It's like, duh, you know. And he does it in slow motion, takes that mask off and turns around. And he says, I'm Maximus Aurelius. And he starts going through his resume. And the king kind of staggers. People up in the stands say, wait a minute. And everybody starts marshalling and spreading the word that, wait a minute, he's alive. Why? Because the moment that he reveals his true identity, everything in his life begins to shift and change for the better. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. I feel this in the Holy Spirit. The moment you realize who you really are, the moment you take off that mask that you've been wearing and come out from the stuff that you've been hiding behind, everything in your life is getting ready to shift. Opportunities are getting ready to open and doors are getting ready to fling wide open because what God has been waiting on is for you to know who you are. Your identity is not based on your due, your identity is not based on circumstances. Here's another one I'll give you. Your identity is not based on what happened to you. See, the reason I want you to take a good look at Mephibosheth, and I told you, maybe we'll get to the other message at the 1130 service, but, but this may only be for two or three of you. But, but the reason I want you to look at Mephibosheth, the reason I felt such a tug on my heart to share this with you is because Mephibosheth is a powerful picture of people who don't know who they really are. And as a result, they live beneath their God-given privilege as a result. So watch this. David sins for Mephibosheth. And when he gets to David, the Bible says Mephibosheth bows down and says, watch this. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Look at this I-factor problem. There he is in front of the king. And the king offers to completely restore all that belonged to him, all that his family had lost. He says, you can move into the palace. You will always eat at my table. 
But Mephibosheth thought so poorly of himself that he couldn't even acknowledge the king's grace and favor. I'm teaching to somebody this morning that God has been trying to lavish his grace and favor on you. The Bible says his mercies are new every morning, but, but instead every morning you get up depressed and every morning you get up looking behind you at what happened to you because you don't know who you are. So he comes into the presence of a king. You'll get it later. He says, what, 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 are, what, what is your king that you notice a dead dog like me? And he's this way because something happened to him. What happened to him? It's in 2 Samuel 4 and 4. If you can get there really quickly, meet me there. In 2 Samuel 4 and 4, it says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. How did he become lame? Well, he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and the nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and he became disabled and his name was Mephibosheth. Get this, get this, get this. It wasn't, it wasn't that she did it on purpose. In her haste, in her fear, she was trying to grab him and grab stuff and get out of there and she, she dropped him. She, she dropped him. She, 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 she was trying, but, but she dropped him. She, she didn't mean to, but she dropped him. And, and, and maybe something like that has happened, happened to, to you. Maybe you were depending on somebody to, to, to care for you and they, they dropped. Maybe, maybe you thought that, that when they said to death do we part, they really meant it and maybe they did, but maybe they just didn't know how to handle the storm and they dropped him. Maybe, 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 maybe you thought that you were gonna be there for your entire career and who could have ever known that downsizing and that the selling of assets were going to happen and, and so they, they, they dropped, they dropped you. They dropped you. You were a child. It, you, you, had, you had nothing. You had nothing to, to determine whether dad was going to be there for the long haul. And, and maybe he had what he had to be a dad, but not a father. But, but he dropped you. She, 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 she was trying. And, and, and I say this because I'm certain that, that she didn't mean to drop him it was an accident she was trying to help him but she ended up hurting him despite her good intentions and and I want you to see this and I want you to see yourself in this story because I'm teaching to some of you and some deeply wounding things have happened and let me say this to you it was not your fault you may not be able to clap on that it happened and it wasn't your fault and I want to also go a step further and say this. Some of the people that hurt you didn't intend to hurt you. But here's the real truth. What happened to you is external. What you do with it is internal. You, you have a choice. You can focus on what happened to you or you can focus on who you are. Because who you are has absolutely nothing to do with what's happened to you. Had, had Mephibosheth chosen to focus on who he was, 
he could have experienced restoration a long time ago. Had he chosen to focus on who he was, he could have been at the king's table a long time ago, but because he was so stuck based on what happened to him, he lived in poverty, lived in Lodabar for way too long. And the word of the Lord for maybe three of you is that you've been living in Lodabar far too long. You have been living beneath your privilege for far too long. Yes, 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 you look made up and you look dressed up and you got your Sunday stuff on, but the truth is when you go home, you go back to Lodabar and that is not the will of God for you. Teach Pastor Van. High five somebody and tell them we're coming out of Lodabar today. We're coming out today. We are coming out today. So, so how, how, do, how, do, how do we do it? How, how do we pack up? It's moving day. I don't know why I just hear that in the spirit. It's moving day. Somebody's got to go home and pack up in the spirit. And say, literally, I've been living beneath my privilege. Wait a minute, let me look around. This doesn't look like the will of God for me. God says he's got plans to prosper me and not harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Tell somebody it's moving day. So, so how, how do I pack up? I want to give you really quickly and then we're going to go. Let me give you a couple things that you need to do. You need to remember and realize that things happen. Somebody say things happen. Life is not always a bed of roses. Good things happen to good people, but so do bad things. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. All right, it's just a part of living. But when we have difficult experiences, one of the healthiest things that you can do is to just accept it as a part of your journey, but refuse to see it as the defining moment. Did you hear what I'm telling you? So watch this in Isaiah 46, just write this in your margin. God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And God says, my purpose will still stand and I will do all that I please to do. So here's what God does. He says, I make known the end from the beginning. He is the ancient of days. He is the alpha and he is the omega. So God is so awesome that God already knows how the story's going to end. He's already set it up for victory. But then God knows that, that, that we are finite while he is infinite. So he already works out our end, then puts it in reverse, backs up to where we are, and says, come follow me. Now on the journey, there are gonna be ups and downs. The only time that is over is when you go through a bump and you mistakenly think that that's the end of your journey. But on the other side of the bump or the bruises or the drama, God is saying, wait a minute. Remember, I know how this is going to end. So keep following me. Keep believing in me. Keep putting one foot in front of the next. High five somebody and tell them, baby, if all you can do is put one foot in front of the next, just take one step. Even if you're hurting, just take another step. And one day you're going to look up and look back and say, wait a minute. What the devil meant for bad, God meant for my good. You're going to get to a point where like Paul, you'll look back and say, wait a minute. And we know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to his but wait a minute if you stop if you stop right here you're going to miss the greater thing that's over there 
Oh, I feel like preaching. <laughs> Do you remember when Joseph's brothers were reunited with him? And they thought Joseph was going to get ugly and say, I can't believe you come up in here, want some food now after all y'all done to me. Remember, Joseph doesn't act like that. Joseph says, brothers, you meant it for bad. But God meant it for my good. Joseph says, brothers, I learned something when I was down in the pit. I learned something when I got to Potiphar's house. I learned something when I got to the prison. If you hadn't put me in the pit, then I never would have got to Potiphar's house. If I never went to the pit and got to Potiphar's house, I never would have got to the prison. If I hadn't been thrown in the pit, going to Potiphar's house, got to the prison, I never would have got to the palace. So God is so good that he'll take even the worst moments of your life and still orchestrate them so you end up getting to the palace. I wish I could preach it like I feel it. God's still got a palace waiting on you. He's still got good things in store for you. But you got to keep going. I'll give you one other thing. Freedom comes from forgiveness. Freedom comes from forgiveness. See, y'all were just shouting a second ago. Isn't it interesting? When we start teaching on the truths of our faith, folk get quiet. Let me tell you something. One of the greatest messages from God in the I Factor is on forgiveness. Because I am firmly convinced that that is one of probably the greatest areas of misunderstanding in the body of Christ. There was a woman who had been molested. She is in her late 40s. She's a part of our congregation. And she read an early copy of the book and she came to one of our small groups, our connect groups, and she said, you know, I have been angry with God. She says, because I, I thought God let me down because he allowed this to happen to me. She says, but I read that section on forgiveness. She said, and when I just made it up in my mind to forgive the person that hurt me, she said, it was like a weight was lifted. Let me tell you something. To all of the Mephibosheths in this room, harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You, 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 you've got to forgive, not for them, you got to forgive so you can be free. So that you get out of God's way because forgiveness, this may be too deep, but arguably based on scriptural evidence, forgiveness, unforgiveness rather, is one of the worst sins in the Bible. And I just wanted you to sit with that for a minute. Because everybody, a lot of times you hear and you think that it's this and it's that and it's, it's, it's this agenda and that's horrible. No, no, no. Based on biblical evidence, Unforgiveness is one of the worst sins. So how, how do I move? Forgive. Well, you just don't know what they did to me, Pastor. It's not for them. It's for you. Because there's a burden that you carry. So the longer you hold on to what was done to you and you don't forgive is the longer you stay in a self-imposed prison. All of the great things that God has in front of you is that it's in front of you. It's not behind you. High five somebody and say, let it go. And here's the last thing. I'm out of time, but here's the last thing. It's identity over incidents. It's identity over incidents. Mephibosheth's biggest problem was that he kept obsessing 
over what happened to him instead of thinking about who he was and what he could become. Stay focused on your identity. Not on the incidents that have happened to you. Truthfully, when you understand how big God is, see, here's what we do. Here's what we do. When we have problems or when we have negative things that happen in our lives, here's what we often do. We obsess and gaze at the problem and glance at God. But we gaze at the problem and we glance at God. You're going to get it. We gaze at the problem and we, and occasionally we, we glance at God. And if that's the way you've been going through life, it's clear you don't know how big God is. Because what you ought to do is you ought to gaze at God and occasionally glance at the problem. And when you glance at the problem, you ought to glance and say, problem, here's my God. God, there's my problem. You handle it because you are a way maker. You are my healer. You are my righteousness. You are my peace. You are my everything. You promise to provide. So here's the thing. Watch this. David says, Mephibosheth, you will always eat at my table. Your father, our father, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's invited you to come to the table. So watch this. In the king's court during that time, when you were invited to the king's table, there was this big ornate table, but there was a skirt around the table. So David says to Mephibosheth, you're welcome to come down and eat at my table to sit. Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. He stayed in Lodabar because he was so concerned about his issue. But David says, you can come and sit at my table. You missed it. He was so concerned about his feet. But David says, you can sit at my table. You, you, okay. You're so concerned about your mistakes and about who dropped you and about what you did and what you shouldn't have done. And God says, come eat at my table. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.